Well, the date was November 24th, just this past one. Uh, it, was the, it was a Wednesday, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and I had uh, just picked up my mother-in-law, Karen's mom, from the airport, and we were driving back home, and uh, as, we, as we got to the house and came inside, it was already filled up with people. Some of Karen's uh, other family had arrived there the day before, and so the house is just filled with people and noises, and Karen's baking, and so it smells good, and you know, it's just one of those neat kind of family moments. Everybody's all together, we're having fun, and it smells good, and all these things, and it was a wonderful moment, and it was indeed just a moment. Uh, all moments come to an end, don't they? Now, nothing happened in the house per se or with the family. It was just, you know, what you do when you, you get home. You tend to kind of walk over, at least in our house. I walk over to the kitchen table and I start sorting through the mail that day. And there it was, a letter. I mean, I've known my whole adult life this letter could come. I mean, it, you just know, always know it could happen. But, you know, as the years mount up, you, you, you begin to forget that. And you begin not to really think in light of it and... You know, maybe, maybe I'm going to get by without ever getting this letter, but there it was. I finally got my letter from the Internal Revenue Service of the United States of America. Yeah, they were inviting me to a party. Yeah, I was going to be the guest of honor. And uh, they said I could anticipate at least one party and, and that I should plan out this first one for it to last at least four hours. And, and they told me what I could bring to the party. Uh, from my 2008 and 2009 tax returns. Now, my first thought as I'm looking at this is, what kind of sick individual sends this out so that it arrives the day before Thanksgiving? I thought, oh, IRS, never mind. Uh, the next thing I thought is, you know what? I'm not, I'm not thinking about this right now. I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put this upstairs in my office. I'm not going to deal with it. I didn't even tell Karen about it. I guess she hadn't looked at the mail. I just put it upstairs. As a matter of fact, they send one both to the husband and the wife. So I snatched up hers too. And, uh, and, and I ran up and put it upstairs. And thought, I'm not going to think about this until Monday. And, uh, but you know, that whole weekend, it was like it was up there. You could feel it. Well, Monday came. And, uh, you know, I called, obviously called my CPA. I've had the same CPA for, for 20 plus years. A friend of mine out of Houston. And uh, so I called him. I was ah, you're not going to believe what I got. So I, I faxed it to him. We started working on it and preparing. And man, I've got a good CPA. I mean, he's made sure I've done certain things every year and he's done certain things every year. And, you know, so we, we had everything. I mean, we had to talk about what we do, had to do to get, to get ready for my party. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a full audit, by the way. I don't want to be misleading. I, they were just auditing portions of my, of my returns, a couple of minor issues. Actually, the big one was giving. And uh, so we pulled together all this stuff and, and you know, that, that would validate and verify uh, what I had done. And, and man, my CPA put it together in this, this really nice look at packet of information. I mean, I walked in there and I put down 08 and I put down 09. And I said, what you think of that? <laughs> Actually, that's, that's not at all what you do in the IRS building. You just kind of go, <laughs> you know. I say, I was nervous. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was just sitting there, you know. And, and, uh, but I, I put it down there. And uh, so the auditor starts to go through it. And, and actually, the first word out of their mouth was, wow. You know, I, get, I guess not everybody comes as prepared as I did, you know. And, and they were impressed with the information I had. And they started looking through it. And, of course, they had to, you know, double check everything and go through all the numbers and do all this. I was out of there in a, in a little less than two hours uh, with no amendments. Oh, what great words. No amendments to my return. And uh, I was like, Phew. 
Gosh, I mean, it was, you know, I started calling my dad. I called Karen. I called all my friends. I'm out. But, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, it's funny. And obviously, I'm thinking some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, I mean, I had, I had no real fears. I know I've done what I'm supposed to do each year. And I'm not turning in anything I shouldn't be turning in. I'm turning in what I'm supposed to be turning in. I trust my CPA. And as far as I know, he's always, of course, who knows what I just signed everything. But anyway, I trust he's doing it, that what he's supposed to do. But, you know, there's just still something. Even though you are confident of what you've done, that appointment... I mean, it just knowing it's out there, knowing it's hanging over you, and then knowing that it's done. And, you know, I couldn't help but think of, you know, don't we all have that appointment? And we know it's coming. We know it's out there. But, you know, as the years start to add up, you can kind of forget that there is a great appointment coming in your life. I mean, the letter said so, didn't it? Hebrews 9.27, you have an appointment an appointment with God. And death is going to usher you into that appointment. But here's the incredible thing. Man, when you get there and your life is audited, and that's what the book says, that's what the letter tells us, here's the great news. The auditor, the judge, the one who's going to go through every piece of your life, he's also your CPA. He's also going to do everything to prepare you for that. I'm telling you something, folks. After having just been through that, there's nothing like preparation. There's nothing like knowing I've had somebody taking care of me, guiding me, making sure I was supposed to do everything that legally I needed to do. And when it came, he put all the information together. He made sure it looked like it needed to and, and, and took it in there. And my CPA had me all ready for that. Preparation is everything. Well, folks, the, the same one who's going to audit you is the same one who says, hey, now let's get ready for this. Here's the instructions, here's the, here's the resources, here's the power, here's what you need to be ready for this day so it's a good day, so that it is a good appointment. And you know, when you and I go into that appointment, obviously the big, the real big thing, and it's a short audit, who are you in Christ? You are either a child of God or you're not. You, you've either come to faith in Christ, trusting in Him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life, or you haven't. There's not, a, there's not a process. There's not a gray area. There's not a, I'm on the way. There's nothing like that. You are either that or not. And depending on that determines whether the rest of the audit happens in heaven or hell. So that's the first big thing that's audited. And then for believers, our life in Christ is going to be audited. What you built in Christ is going to be looked at. 1 Corinthians 3 verses 10 to 15 is a great passage that shows a believer, this is not about being judged for heaven and hell, but the, the judgment that a believer goes through and how that life is audited and then based on that is, is rewards. We're going to be audited for that. And a part of that, not all of it, but a part of it, folks, is our finances, I mean, I use that word purposely this morning. Our finances are going to be audited. And why would we be shocked of that? Uh, finances is the most talked about subject in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. You think God's going to talk about it all the way through His Bible and then not bring it up at the audit? It's going to be looked at what we did in the area of our resources. And folks, I want to show you this morning five areas, five places related to finances... It's, it's interesting, these five areas, you won't necessarily see the word money, but they're five areas that are proved inside of our, five, our, our finances, five areas 
that we're going to be audited. So let's look this morning at how we prepare for that audit. First thing that'll be looked at is, did I acknowledge the owner? Did I acknowledge that there's an owner in my life? Look at this verse, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The earth is the Lord's. You're on the earth, aren't you? Wow, okay. What, nerf science like 7th grade, 8th grade? This is middle school, haven't y'all? Yeah, you're on the earth, okay? It wasn't a trick question. Are you on the earth? Then you belong to God. And if you're on the earth, all your stuff is on the earth, isn't it? It belongs to God. It's all His. Well, well, not, not my money. No, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Your money is God's. It's not yours. No, 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 no. I made that money. Deuteronomy 8.18. For it is He who's giving you power to make wealth. Your ability to draw a paycheck comes not from your brains or your bronze or anything in between. It comes from God. He gives you the ability. So God is the owner of everything. That makes us managers. 1 Corinthians 4.2 It is required of stewards, a, a Greek word that's defined as managers. That's what a steward is. He's somebody who manages the owner's stuff. That one be found trustworthy. Folks, uh, w- when you go to your audit, it's going to be measured whether you acknowledged an owner in your life. And folks, it's impossible for that audit to go well. It's impossible for you to, to prepare the records, to prepare the information, if you didn't know who the owner was and who the manager was. It's impossible to manage appropriately if you think you're the owner. You know, folks, a lot of times what we think we're accountable to God for is an issue of what we give or what we don't give. No, no, it's a lot bigger issue than giving. You're accountable to God for 100% of the resources that flow through your hands. And as you manage those resources, guess what? The owner has some goals. The owner has goals for those resources. The owner has instructions, principles that those resources are to be dealt with. That's the way the owner-manager relationship works, doesn't it? Now, a manager might have freedom... A manager has freedom, maybe when and how, maybe how much sometimes. But whatever the manager is doing, even his freedom, has to come up under the goals and the instructions of the owner. Folks, the owner has given us goals and instructions, not just on giving, on spending, on saving, on debt retirement, on insurance, on caring for a family, on financial priorities. Folks, God has spoken to every one of those issues in His Word. The owner has given goals. He's given instructions. So the audit's very simply this. You sit down with the owner. Owners do this. Did you manage in light of my goals? Did you manage in light of my instructions and the, and the principles I've given you? How are we doing at that? Are we managing these resources in light of that? And folks, that statement that it is required of a manager to be found trustworthy, folks, trustworthy, that's pointing right to an audit, isn't it? There's a place, there's a time where your trustworthiness as a manager is going to be measured. So we need to look at if we're going to prepare in our lives, am I living my life in a way that acknowledges the owner-manager relationship? The second thing that will be audited is, did I trust the owner? Proverbs 3, 1 through 10, great passage 
on, on what it looks like to trust the... Or 3, 1 to 10 is a great passage on what it looks like to trust the Lord. And right in the middle of that, a, I know probably a memory verse for a lot of people, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And, and that whole passage is talking about what that looks like. And one aspect of trusting Him is in the area of our finances. And that's addressed in verse 9. It says, honor the Lord. What does it look like to trust God in the area of your finances? You honor Him with your possessions and with the, look at that word, first. Boy, if you have your Bible open, I would circle that word first because I think that word first answers some questions. Remember, the question is, how do I honor the Lord with my resources? The answer is, by taking, by, by dealing with that first with your resources. By dealing with that first, produce is another word for paycheck, isn't it? Your harvest, what you get, what comes from all your hard work. I believe that answers, and it's not just this first, there's quite a few like it. Talk about first produce, first fruits. I believe that answers the question of do I give based on my gross or on my net? Get that question a whole bunch. Uh, for me, it's no question. You give based on your gross income. That's what you make. No, 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 Pastor, I don't know how it works at the church, but when I get a paycheck, the government's already taken their whack out of it. That's what I have left. That's what I've made. No, you made your gross salary. In our culture, the government has a way to get to it before you do. But you still, what you made is your gross salary. If you give based on the net, I mean, folks, in my understanding, and you can certainly disagree, in my understanding, if I give based on the net, that means I'm honoring the government first, the Lord's second line. Now, folks, I believe, and I believe the Scripture wants me to believe, in honoring and obeying the government. But I don't honor and obey the government above the Lord. I give the Lord, I believe the Scripture says we give to the Lord based on that gross income, not what's left over after somebody else got to it. And so when we're looking at was was my trust, when my trust is audited, one of the areas, not the only area, but one of the areas that's going to be looked at is in our finances. Well, gosh, how do I trust God with my finances? The very first thing you do with your finances is honor Him, and then you trust Him to make the rest of it do what else needs to be done in life. So we're going to be audited on our trust. Third area that will be audited is, did I obey the Lord? You know, folks, an owner gives resources, and then an owner expects the right, doesn't he, to be able to direct where those resources go and, and how they're used. Well, folks, as God gives us these resources, he says, there's a certain portion of this I want to go to funding ministry. I want you to join me. I'm providing you with resources to join me in what I'm doing in this world. Let me show you what that looks like. Look at two familiar passages uh, Malachi chapter 3. Turn to Malachi chapter 3. Last book of the Old Testament. Maybe the easiest way to find it is go to the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, those guys, and head back to the left. So you hit Matthew, go into Malachi to your left. Malachi chapter 3. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. You might want to grab one and read along. Malachi chapter 3. Now begin in verse 7. It says, Since the days of your fathers, you have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. So we know right now God's talking to a group of people that, that He's not right with. 
Uh, this is a group of people that have not been following, they've not been obeying, they've, they've not been doing what they're supposed to do. And, and, and God is calling them back. And as a matter of fact, Malachi deals with a number of issues and a number of ways that God is calling them back. And, and so they're saying, well, how, how do we get back to you? How do we return? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you were robbing me. And this group of people respond probably with the same question that, that, that we would. What? How are we robbing you? Do you see that in verse 8? How did we rob you? Man, I, when did I do that? When did I steal from God? Look at the rest of the verse. By not making payments of 10% in the contributions. Now, my, my translation, the Holman Christian Standards, what I'm reading from, actually translates that word, the word you may be looking at, tithe. Your, your translation says, bring the tithes and the con." Uh, contributions. That word tithes, the Hebrew word that literally translated simply means 10%. So they're saying, hey God, how did we rob you? When, when, when did I rob you? You robbed me when you didn't bring the tithe, the 10% and the contributions. Now I think that word and is an important word in answering a question. Because I, I think a lot of times we get all caught up on this, this top end amount, this big amount of 10%. Wow, man, that seems like a, that seems like an awful lot. And, and gosh, this is Old Testament. We don't still do that in the New Testament, do we? And, and we look at that ten percent as man. That's that's what super saints give. That's what people who have more money than they know what to do with give. But you know, we, we treat it as some kind of maximum amount, folks. I would suggest to you that the tithe is not the maximum; it's the minimum. It's not the goal; it's the beginning. Notice he says, you robbed me by not giving the 10% and contributions. There's something, and I'll talk about that in a second. There's something above and beyond the tithe. There's something beyond the 10%. You've robbed me in not giving that. So this wasn't just an issue of getting up to 10 and then you're good to go. It's no, you robbed me even when you didn't give beyond the 10. Let's read the rest here. So then he says to him, you know, guys, have you ever thought about this? You're suffering under a curse. You've been robbing me. You've been stealing from me. And look at your life. You're suffering under a curse. Yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. You know, that word curse is kind of difficult when we think about us as believers. Hey, God, you're, you're not supposed to curse us. We're in the good. <laughs> Covered by the blood. <laughs> Blessing only. I mean, can, can the word curse rightly be applied to a believer? Yeah, of course it can. Yeah, folks, you know what? God loves you and God will forgive you. You can still go to heaven. But when there's an area of your life, any area, not just giving, if there's an area, if there's a place in your life where you're living in rebellion to God, where you're living in rejection of His Word, there, there's going to be consequences. And those consequences are going to look like a curse. God's way works. When you step outside of God's work, uh, outside of God's way, things begin to break. They, they begin to not work like they should. Folks, we are a nation that is arrogant about our resources, aren't we? We are arrogant about our stuff. I wonder, could this verse apply to us? Look around the nation. You wonder why you're suffering. You never acknowledge me as the owner of this stuff. You act like it's yours to do with as you please. And, and then you suffer under a curse. And you say, oh my gosh, why is this happening? Well, God, how do we correct this? Well, let's read on. Verse 10. Bring the full 10% into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. You know, folks, I've been in 
I've been in ministry 20 years. And I've taught this passage lots of times. I've taught this passage in here lots of times. And, and, and over those 20 years, a very common question I get is, you know what? I, I, I see what you're saying. I see what God is saying. Man, I really, I want to get right with God. I haven't been doing that. I want to correct that in my life. But, uh, wow, 10%. I mean, I'm at, I'm at zero right now. I mean, I throw a 20 in every now and then, but I'm, I think I'm pretty much at zero. Zero to 10, that's a, that's a long way. I'm barely making what I got do, the, do what it needs to do. And now to take 10 out. And so they ask the question, do you think it's okay? And by the way, folks, I love when people ask me these questions as if I'm God. A little clue here, I'm not. I'm not God. I'm not anything like God. I tried to walk on water the other day. It didn't work at all. Uh, the point being, do you understand? My permission gets you nothing. <laughs> you go stand before God. You cannot say, well, my pastor said, you're in trouble if you say that. Uh, you know, but you know what? They, they will ask a very practical, common question. I'm at zero. I want to get to 10. Do you think, you know, can I start at 3%? Could, could I start at 5 I mean, could I try to, could I take a couple years here and try to grow up to 10? Now, I think that's a very functional, very practical question. And probably for 17 of my 20 years of, of ministry, I've said, yeah. Oh man, yeah, of course, man. Anything you can do to begin growing, anything you do that puts you on the road to obedience and start developing, I have said that more times than I can count. I've said, yes, anything you do. And all of a sudden one day, no telling how many times I've read this passage, all of a sudden that word full jumped out at me. In your translation, it may say whole. Bring the full 10%. Bring the whole tithe. And then it dawned on me, wait a minute, I don't have the right to tell people that it's okay if you bring three or six or nine. If you bring nine, you're robbing God of one. That's what that means. He didn't say get started. He said bring the full. Bring the whole. Now notice in this passage, in this, in this verse, he doesn't use the word contributions. He said above, you're robbing me in tithes and contributions. Okay, God, where do I get started in getting right with you? Now he leaves off the word contributions and he says, bring the whole tithe. So there again, I would make the case that 10% is not the goal. It's the beginning. It's the starting point. He says, you want to get right? Let's go to the starting point. Bring the full 10%. Now, where does he say to bring it? That's everything. There's lots of good things we can do with our money, isn't it? Lots of good ways that we can help Christians. Lots of good ways we can help our community. Where do we bring the 10%? He said, into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Now, the most direct way that food is, is applied at or directed in this passage would be in the providing for the priests who run that. Now, in a bigger picture, in a metaphorical sense, the store, well, not in a very literal sense, the storehouse is the church, or in this case, it's the temple. I want to expand the meaning of that food and say, what, what, is, what is he calling for here? Bring 10% to the storehouse, to the church, for what? For sustenance. So, so that the church can live, so the church can do what it's supposed to do. Now, I'm going to tell you how I have applied this passage, what Karen and I have done with this. You've got to pray through that, and you've got to say, now, God, what are you meaning here? The way Karen and I have applied this through our marriage is, we bring 10% of our gross income to the church, yes, but even more to the general budget. The gen what does the general budget do? It is the functioning of the church. It is the sustenance, it's the life, the running of the church. So I take this command, and folks, I'm no different than you. I got an audit one day. 
I'm going to stand before God one day and I'm going to talk about what I did with His Word, what I did with His instructions. And as I'm looking at this, okay, there is a 10%, there is a tithe that is to go to the functioning of the house. In our context, in our day and age, that functioning of the house is the general budget. So we give 100% of our tithe, 100% of that 10% to the general budget of the church. Now, you know, throughout the year, we got other things going. We got, a, we got building and, and, and we've got missions. We got a new mission budget now. We made a commitment to that back in the fall. Those things are contributions. Those things are above and beyond the tithe. I bring them also to this particular storehouse, but that's what's above and beyond. Certainly the freedom. I don't have a freedom to decide whether I'm bringing the tithe or not. I do have a freedom in what the contributions are going to be. So Karen, I've given the tithe to the general budget. Then when we do giving to the building, when we give to missions, when we give to other things, maybe that the church says, hey, we're doing this this month or whatever that might be, then that's above and beyond the tithe. Matter of fact, Karen and I have a number of uh, ministries that we give to outside of our church. Some of them are connected to our church. Some of them have nothing at all to do with our church. And we give to them because there are ministries that bless us or that we're encouraged by or ministered by or they're, they're ministries. We just, we want to be a part financially of what that ministry is doing in the world. We want to be a part of, of whatever that area is. But anything we do like that is above and beyond the tithe. So you, go, you look at the phrase. You decide what it's saying. The tithe clearly comes to a very specific place for a specific pur- purpose. I believe in our context, that's the church and its general budget. Let's go on and see what it says the rest here. God then says, test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. You know, I know a lot of you that are familiar with Scripture, you know that throughout the Bible, it is a sin to test God, isn't it? It's a sin. It's called, it's called that in the Old Testament. It's called that in the New Testament. It is a sin to put God to the test. Except in one place, God invites us. I mean, He knows, folks. He knows what this money means. He knows how we hold on to it. And He says, oh my gosh, if you, if you could let go... If you could trust me with this, if you could honor and obey me with this, man, you wouldn't believe what I can do. You would not believe. Will you test me? I want you, I'm challenging you to test me with this. Now, folks, what I just read there, Malachi represents an Old Testament understanding of giving. Over a hundred passages like this throughout the Old Testament. What I like about Malachi is it's just what? I mean, it's just four or five verses and you've got a real succinct, real clear understanding of the Old Testament concept of giving. Now question, does it change from old to new? Does, any, does anything get adjusted in that? Flip over to Matthew, the book right next to it. Go to your right, Matthew chapter 22 and look at verse 15. Matthew chapter 22 Verse 15 says there, Then the Pharisees went and they plotted how to trap him by what he said. They sent their disciples to him with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are truthful and that you teach truthfully the way of God. You defer to no one for you don't show partiality. Tell us therefore what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But perceiving their malice, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, hypocrites? 
Show me the coin used for the tax. So they brought him a Daenerys. Whose image and inscription is this? He asked them. Caesar's, they said to him. Then he said to them, therefore, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now notice that verse there, that, that phrase in verse 18, but perceiving their malice. Why, why does Jesus see malice in them? I mean, they're asking a simple question. Question we ask and talk about a lot, right? Taxes. Hey, what are we supposed to do about taxes, Jesus? And it says he perceived their malice. He could see what they were really doing, what they were really thinking. And what he knew about them is they could care less what answer he gave. This wasn't about taxes and they didn't care what he said. You see, this is an answer when Jesus gives it, he's going to make somebody mad. Now, you know, the community that Jesus is talking to, these people, there's real sensitivity about taxes. Gosh, this is really no different than today, is it? And you, like, you can take this out of a page out of today's paper. And you got a group over here that is saying, you know what? We're to honor and obey government. I like what Rome is providing. I like what Rome is doing. We're supposed to pay taxes. We need to be paying our taxes. Then you got another group over here that says, man, Rome is ungodly. Rome is worthless. If we give our money to Rome, they're using it for ungodly things. We shouldn't be paying taxes. And so Jesus is standing here and saying, hey, Jesus, which one? And what they're counting on, the Pharisees and Herodians, they don't care what answer he gives. Whatever answer he gives, he's going to make one of these groups mad. And that's the group they'll go over and stir up because their real goal is to kill the guy. They're looking for a group of people that they can stir up and rile up with them to get angry at and get rid of Jesus. So they don't care. Jesus can see right through what they're doing. By the way, you do know that Jesus can do that, right? Yeah, he knows everything. He always sees what's going on. He always understands what's going on, not only on the outside, but down deep on the inside. He knows why we're really asking, why we're really doing, what we're really doing. He always knows that. So Jesus goes ahead, though, and he answers their question. And, and he, you know, he asks about the coin and whose picture on it. He's referring there to the authority of government. And then he answers their, their question. But you notice he gives more than they ask for. He says, give to Caesar... What belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Notice the parallel structure. I mean, clearly, grammatically, he has put together just as this looks like this. So this is to look like this. So I come over here and the government says there's a part that belongs to us. You need to give it. By the way, simple question. Who decides what belongs to the government? Do, do you decide that or does the government decide that? I mean, you can try to decide it. You know, Mr. Government, you're doing a super job. Uh, you know, here's 20. Spin it however you want. Knock yourself out. Now, if you do that, I will tell you that they will give you free room and board for a very, very long time. No, you do not get to tell the government what belongs to them. They tell you what belongs to them. And it belongs. Now, notice the parallel structure. As the government tells you what belongs to them, so God tells you what belongs to him. You're to give that. Notice that word belongs. Folks, you're not paying for God's stuff. You're not giving something to God that he doesn't have and he needs what you've got so that he can do what he needs to do. You're not even giving God a gift. You ever think about that? You're not even giving God a gift when you give the tithe. It belongs to him. Do you see that word belongs that Jesus used? Ties right back to Malachi, doesn't it? Because if something belongs to you and I keep it, if something belongs to you and I don't give it back, I'm doing what? I'm stealing. Jesus is hearkening right back to the same language of the Old Testament, the same language 
of Malachi. Now, when he says, give to God what belongs to God, that kind of begs the question, what belongs to God? Okay, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to obey Him. What belongs to Him? Now, it begs the question for you and me 2,000 years later. It doesn't beg the question for Jesus and His audience. The, the answer to that question, I mean, He doesn't say an amount. He just says, give to God what belongs to God. But Jesus was a Jew. His audience was Jews, Jewish. And their scriptures were what? What we just read. See, they weren't wondering, well, gosh... I wonder, I wonder what he means by that. I wonder how much belongs to God. No, everybody there knew exactly what he was talking about. He's talking about the tithe. There's nobody there that would have had any question at all about what he's referring to. Folks, there are a lot of people that teach that the New Testament doesn't teach the tithe. That's a lie. Somebody's lying to you when they tell you that. It does teach that. The New Testament actually does look back at some Old Testament things and say, you know what, we don't do that anymore. There's a change, and this is the reason why there's a change. The New Testament does not mind going in a little bit different direction than what the Old Testament showed. But the New Testament never did that on the area of giving. As a matter of fact, as I've joked before, you don't ever want to see the percentages that the New Testament talks about every time it gives an illustration of somebody giving. You don't want to see those percentages. It never does anything except affirm What's always been there. And when Jesus makes this statement, he is directly referring to what they knew. If the New Testament or the Old Testament idea of tithing was null and void, this would have been the perfect place to say it. But not only does he make it null and void, he affirms it and he affirms it with a command. Give to God what belongs to God. What possible way is there to figure out what belongs to God other than God's word? So I've got to go back and find out what word would Jesus have been referring to. And I think he's going to be referring exactly to something like Malachi that said you're to give the 10%, really, and more. Not the end, not the goal, the beginning, the minimum, the starting point. And to not do so is to rob him. And to not give can bring a curse. To give can bring a blessing. Folks, you understand, God does not need your money, but you do need his blessing. You do need his hand and his blessing on, not in, on your finances. So it's going to be measured. That's going to be audited. Was I obedient to the owner? Fourth thing that will be audited is my loyalty to the owner. Very familiar passage, Luke 12, 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know our heart, that's kind of the center. The, the seed of our, of our love, our passions, our devotions, our loyalties. What we're passionate about. Well, Jesus said, you know, my dad and I, as we watch you guys, we, we, we've noticed. You want to find out where the heart is? Follow the money. <laughs> Follow the money trail. The heart is always going to be right there. It, it just tied very closely. And so, folks, when your money is audited, when, when, when God follows the money trail in your life, where is it going to show your heart to be? Where is it going to show the devotions, the passions, the loyalties in your life? Is it going to be found in God and the things of God? Or is it going to be found in the earth and the things of the earth? It's going to be measured. It's being referred to. And then lastly, the last area that will be audited is did we invest the owner's resources wisely? Look at this passage here. Store up, what's that word say? For who? Yourselves. Isn't it funny, in, in all these areas about life, we think God is for us, but when it comes to money, it, it becomes God versus 
me. Or it becomes the church versus me. Or that pastor up there who always wants my money. We get on opposing teams. Yeah, Jesus says, you know what? You need to do something with your money. But who's it for? Yourselves. Give God money. He sure needs it. Give the pastor money. He sure needs it. Give the church money. No, for yourselves. Store up for yourselves. This is for your well-being. This is for your benefit. Treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. You know, folks, you're going to spend a lot of money on this earth. Most of it's going to stay right here, isn't it? And God knows that. He acknowledges that. And He gives us tons of instructions on, as I said earlier, spending and saving and insurance and all the different things that we do with money. The Bible has principles. But even when you're spending your money biblically, obediently, money spent on this earth comes to an end. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it's going to come to a violent end. And so Jesus, because He is for you, Because he really cares about you, he says, man, let me tell you something. You can't sink the whole wad into this place. Send some ahead. Send some on to heaven. Now, how are we going to spend money in heaven? I have not a clue. I don't have a single idea what I'm going to do with treasures that I send on to heaven. I just know Jesus said to do it. So I either trust what Jesus said or I don't trust what Jesus Have you ever made it that black and white? I either trust what Jesus said, you better send some treasures on to heaven. Nah, I don't need to do that. I, I, I don't trust you on that. I, I mean, it's, it's one or the other. Now, that raises the question, how? How do we send treasures to heaven? I think kind of summing what I've said today and other things in Scripture, I think you're sending treasures to heaven when, one, you give to your church. Two, when you give to the poor, anything that's aiding and serving the, the poor. And three, when you give to any ministry, it may not be a church, but any ministry that advances the kingdom of God. Any ministry that's involved with advancing the gospel. When your giving is going to these places, you're storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now folks, when we look at all this, and I hope you realize today, man, don't, don't interact with, with whether you agree with me or not. As I've said, that, nothing could be more irrelevant. You're going to stand before God on your own, and you're going to decide. You're going to stand for him and explain what you did with scriptures. I have to make that decision for me and, and, and for my family. So don't think you've got to leave here interacting with what that pastor always says, what that church always says. What did God say? And normally when we respond to this, it's, it's with two ideas. One, it's mine. It's mine. I, I don't have to do that because it's It's mine. It's my stuff. I made it. It was my sweat, my blood, my tears that produced that paycheck. It's mine. And I hope what you've seen this morning, folks, that's not true. And and, and as a pastor, and I've told you, you know, my my one job on this planet is to prepare you to stand before God. That's, That's actually why I think I exist on this planet. To help people prepare for this appointment. Not just in finances, in all kinds of ways. Finances is one of them. I want you to be prepared for that appointment. And if you go to that appointment having spent a life thinking you're the owner, you're going to have a really bad audit. I say that out of love, not out of what I want to get out of you. Out of love. You're going to have a bad audit. That's not going to go well. Because God's already spoken to that. Second reason we don't give, that we struggle with this, is very simple practical reason. Man, I can't afford it. I, 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 I can't do that. I, I, I Man, I, you know, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. I wish I could do that, but I, but I can't. You just made it even harder because you said, I can't even start at 2%. I got to start at 10. I, 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 you know, I can't do that. Can't afford it. You know what? I think there's ways to get there, and I think there's ways to move into obedience, and obviously I don't have time to address all that in a sermon 
this morning, but I would ask you this question. Is disobedience more affordable? How's that working? Is it, is it more affordable? Is it cheaper on your budget to disobey God? To not have His blessing and His hand on your finances? Now, I know what some people think, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know a lot of rich people who aren't believers. I know there's no possible way they're honoring God or, or doing any of this. They don't have God's blessing. And look how rich and wealthy they are. Well, you need to pray for that person. They're going to have a lot to answer for when they get to the audit. And they haven't lived a single moment of their life understanding who the right owner is. Folks, that's a place where having more is not going to be good. That's just more you're going to be held accountable for. So looking at how somebody is doing at a moment in time doesn't necessarily you know, determine whether God's blessing that or what He's doing there. Folks, it's not cheaper. It's not more affordable to live in disobedience in your finances with God. You know, folks, I've used today this, this illustration of an audit. And I guess that's kind of where my illustration breaks down and doesn't, doesn't really work. Because the audit's such a bad word, isn't it? Who hears the word audit and thinks of something good? Other than CPAs. I mean, they got to get paid, right? I mean, audit. Ugh. That's just such a negative word. Well, folks, obviously when I say, man, we've got an audit with God, I, I don't want to imply a negative word. I don't want to imply a word that thinks, oh my gosh, they're, they're going to get me no matter what I've done. Man, God wants you to be ready for this moment. It's not a fearful moment. It's a moment when you take advantage of what God's told you. It's a moment that should be great excitement. Because as you begin to build a life in Christ, God says, now at the end of this, there's going to be an audit. And I want to give you everything you need. I want to give you the power to do it. I want to give you the instructions that tell you how. Uh, I want to give you different gifts and abilities. And then at the end, we're going to see how you used all that. And that's going to be the basis for a reward. Not for a fine, not for a punishment. God's looking for a way to reward you for joining him in what he's doing in this world. And God is doing a great thing in this world, isn't he? Matter of fact, folks, I'd go a step further. I would say God is doing a great thing at Colonial Heights Baptist Church. I would say that God is doing something very unique. The word unique means kind of like one, and that's probably not accurate. I don't think we're the only church in America where God is doing something special. But folks, I do believe that what God is doing here, when you look at all of the churches in America, all the churches in the world, I think what God is doing here is very unique. I, I, I think it is very special. As a matter of fact, I think God's telling an incredible story at Colonial Heights Baptist Church. And, and I want to I try to pull some pieces of that story together next week. Next week, when, when, when I, in the sermon time, I, I want to show you this story, how it's being written, how it's unfolding, what God is doing here. Because, folks, it's really pretty incredible. You know, I know, well, man, I love my church and praise God for that. And that's awesome. And, you know, we see something over there and we hear about something over there. But I want to tell you something. When you start pulling it all together into one place where you can see it. Wow. What am I in the midst of? What's God doing here? And folks, God wants you to have an opportunity to join Him and actually be rewarded for what He's doing here. Hope you'll be back next week. It's an awesome story. Let's pray. Father, I come before you today and I thank you for all your goodness. I thank you for all that you provide.
all that you provide spiritually, all that you provide financially. God, everything I need as a believer, as a husband, as a father, as a worker, you you, you give me the Holy Spirit, you give me the Bible. God, you, you, you give me a church. You've given me everything I need to walk this journey. And to not only walk it, but to walk it successfully and powerfully and to do it in a way that I grow stronger and stronger and stronger in Christ. That I grow more and more and more in Christ. And at the end of it all, I get to get rewarded. Rewarded in a way that counts for all eternity. God, through my resources and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you give me a chance to do things that will count forever. Oh God, could we just look around this week and see how much we do that just comes to an end. It just ends. It's over. But with you, we get to do things that have a lasting impact, an eternal impact. And we don't get that opportunity because of how smart and good and wealthy and strong we are. We get that opportunity because that's who you are. And you allow that. And God, you said you want to find stewards who are trustworthy. God, may we see that that word alone points to an audit. It points to a day where it will be measured how trustworthy we were with all the resources that flowed through our lives. God, I want to be found trustworthy. I want to be found trustworthy with my my resources. I want to be found trustworthy with my marriage. I want to be found trustworthy with those four precious kids you've given me. God, I want to be found trustworthy as pastor of this church. What an incredible thing you've given me here. I want to be trustworthy with it. God, I want to be trustworthy with this day. You're the creator of this day. The Bible tells me this day belongs to you. You commanded the sun to rise. This day exists because of you. I want to be trustworthy with what I do with this day. And God, as I desire that and seek to grow in that, God, I just stop and praise you for Jesus who paid an awful price on the cross for all the times and all the places I was not trustworthy. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name I ask this. Amen.